You are listening to The Dark Corner with DJ Evil Dave and Starfleet Lieutenant Commander Brandy Jackal. Boy, it's been forever since we've done this. Uh-huh. So, yeah, this is Dave. This is Brandy. And we're reporting on our return from day one of FanX 2022. Yep. As usual, it's a Thursday, and that seems to be the day where we get the most shit done. Always. Drive down wasn't too bad, if I recall, other than you getting stuck behind a a truck or van or whatever that was. Yeah, kept getting stuck behind semis and large box trucks. Yeah, and construction vehicles with, like, weird cones in the back of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I hate not being able to see around a vehicle. It's frustrating, and it makes me feel claustrophobic. Yep. We're leaving a little early, because we got a lot done today. <laughs> and we're fucking tired. Uh, so, started off uh, meeting John Delancey. Yes. It was lovely. It was lovely, and who was late? By about, what, an hour and a half? Uh, yep. <laughs> about an hour and a half. So, yeah, we could have wandered the vendor hall... With our early entry because we're VIP status, uh, but we we found out that he sh- should have been there, so we went there and just were first in line, so waited. Yep. Got it was a, fun being first in line. Yep. Got his autograph on a photo from Picard season two, where he's Q Zaddy. Oh God, yes. Or Zaddy Q. I it so works for me. Yep. Talked to him briefly. Yes. And then moved on to... Snacks. Yeah, we had to eat. Because we hadn't eaten for, what, five hours? Yeah, and I usually can't go more than five, five and a half before I start to feel faint and go into hangry mode, which is never good for anyone. No, and I wasn't quite meal hungry, more snack hungry, so we picked up some soft pretzels mm-hmm. and uh, Coke Zero. And that hit it. the spot. Yeah, that got us some energy to go wander the vendor floor and artist alley and stuff. And we found quite a bit and managed to check off a lot of things from your checklist. Yes. I believe... I'm sorry, go ahead. Was it the dice place we hit first or was that the cosplay photography place? It was the tarot card cosplay photography place. Yes. So... Brandy wanted to pick up some tarot cards if we ever happened to cross some, and we did at a, a cosplay photography place. Mm-hmm. And there, so they have a tarot deck with a lot of, you know, geeky themed characters as the major arcana and whatnot. And uh, yeah, they're all the cosplayers uh, posing for photographs, and so. And they're really good. Yeah. What was the... Uh, Princess Leia was something, I the, think. She was Temperance. Temperance. Yep, so... Yeah, they were really well done and seemed to be somewhat manipulated, so it wasn't like full-on glossy photos that seemed like they had filtered them a little bit to give them an effect. Yes. And so it really works well for a tarot deck. You haven't looked through the whole deck yet, but... Yeah, it's uh, really cool. I'm talking to the vendor there and how she was interested if there were any other tarot decks being sold around. She likes to pick them up herself. Yeah, well, I'm I'm somewhat of a collector. 
I mean, obviously, I can't buy everything that's out there because oh. that would be insanity. Yeah, that's a lot of tarot decks. But this was something different and unique, and I, I that's what I look for, something different and unique. And uh, these really appealed to me. Yep. Usually you don't go for the photography-style tarot decks, but no. since this one was cosplay-themed, it had a different twist to it. Yep. And with, you know, the, the filtering effect on it to make it less like photography it really works well yeah it had all sorts of geeky things it had obviously star wars marvel dc the witcher i mean just so many things yeah. and i just it just really hit a lot of of you know my your, fandoms yeah, your interests yes yeah your thank fandoms. you interests is also a good word for that yeah uh hit a lot of dice places uh-huh. Because you've got this thing for, like, the mystery bags and mystery boxes and stuff. Yes. There's one where you could play a game. It was Friar's Dice. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they'd have you roll D20s, to, and if you got a natural 20, you got to take this little dice chest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got some uh, grab bags there. It's just a single set. Mine were blood splatter dice. Mm-hmm. They were white with, like, you know, red paint on them to be done like blood spatter. Do you remember which kind of colors you got? Mine are very sort of purpley, amethysty sort of things. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, and I was pleased. Mm-hmm. several dice places. Well, we hit three dice places. Yeah. The next one we hit was Misty Mountain Gaming. Uh, gaming? Was it gaming? I yes. can't remember. Misty, Misty Mountain Gaming. Yes. yes. And they had a plethora of interesting things. They had like D&D notebooks. Mm-hmm. Which were really, I really liked those. But they had some really beautiful dice sets. Interesting dice sets. Um, and they had mystery bags. Yes, they were done like gift bags, and they had dragons and stuff on them, fantasy stuff on them. Mm-hmm. Really, a lot in there. Yes. Uh, they had little pins in there. Mm-hmm. Had a ranger pin, a butterfly, a wizard, a d20. Uh, you got a little plushy kind of thing, a little squishy it's deal. It's a squishy thing. It's squishy. Like a little stress squishy, and a bunches of dice sets and a metal dice set. And they said that if we had duplicates, we could come swap them out. And we had duplicates. Mm -hmm. So I went back and swapped them out for one that had kind of an industrial look to it. And it was like their only one, so we traded them back one of the empty uh, dice uh, holder things. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. I really liked them. They had good vibes. They had good dice. Uh, they were good folks. They had some fun original stuff like the notebooks that would have a place for your animal companion mm-hmm. to put their stats there. Yes. Then was it... I'm forgetting the name of the other one we went to. I, I don't remember. Um... But this is the place that we went to last year Yep. when we got those great mystery boxes and my favorite dice bag. 
Yes, and we picked up another dice bag for you that's Star Trek themed. Yes. Got you a science one with the Delta. Well, science it has, blue. It has the command Delta on it, but it's still blue. Science yep. blue. And yep. that made me super happy. Yeah. And um, I was talking about the bag that I'd gotten last time, and I was talking to the woman who had made that one. Yep, and it was the first one they sold that day was to you. Yep. And, <laughs> and yeah, she yeah. just finished making it. She's like, yes, I remember you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. That was really cool. Boy, do their uh, gift bags have a lot, or gift boxes have a lot of dice in them. Yes. I was a little disappointed in the mine, and I need to kind of change my thinking, because... We set aside money for FanX. Mm-hmm. It's like how some people do it for Vegas. They set aside money to lose. Yes. Like, this is money we're spending. So it's not money that could have been spent on something else. It's money to spend on this. Yes. And I need to get out of the stinking thinking of what else I could have done with the money. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do need to stop doing that. Yeah. They just think, I gotta got some band camp songs. It's like, no, that's not what the money's for. No. Band camp money is for band camp. Yep. I already have a budget for that. Dice money is for dice. Yep. I mean, there were good dice. It's just, you know, nothing too special. Well, I should have chosen the other mystery box. The ones that were $35, I think, that had um, at least one set of metal dice. Yeah, that was probably... Yeah, we went with the $70 one, and it just wasn't that impressive. I mean, you got a lot of dice... But it was all like the resin dice and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but I like those too. Yeah. There's just nothing too... I mean, I did have one kind of unique set of dice in there that looked like they could have been metal but weren't. You know, the ones that are designed like metal but are resin. Yeah. And there are some in there in mine that look like my metal dice that I love. Yes. That I got from that one place that I can't remember the name of. Right. That does metal dice. And we got one from that place that I really liked. And it was another blood spatter one. But it was like better done. Because mm-hmm. they're just better dice makers. Yep. <laughs> than the other place where we got them. Yes. Their dice are the best. Yeah. They were more textured. And the blood spatter was more artfully put on there. It looked like maybe like putting red paint on a toothbrush. And then like flicking it on there Mm -hmm. so it doesn't come in big like fingernail polished splashes like the other one did but I still like both yes it's just fun to have blood spatter dice now it is especially if you're like a horror role player got fudge we got fudge you got what the peanut butter and chocolate fudge and i got the belgian chocolate fudge and i also got creamsicle fudge oh you did two flavors yes nice i because they were telling me all the flavors and i'm like wait you have a creamsicle flavored (laughs) and he's like yeah you want to try it and so he gives me a little piece and i swear to god it's fudge that tastes exactly like creamsicle I was so impressed. Saying that the Belgian chocolate isn't that sugary, so it doesn't have that granular taste to it or texture. Mm-hmm. It's very creamy, which is nice. Yes, and you had a taste of, a taste of that before buying. Yep, so. and I like that immensely. Mm-hmm. I did not taste the peanut butter and chocolate before buying because I knew I would like it. 
uh, got some shirts because that was kind of on my checklist. I wanted to pick up a, a nerdy shirts. Uh, hopefully, Dungeons and Dragons, Dragons related because we saw some people wearing some. Yes. But I think they may have might have come in those shirts from previously buying them elsewhere. Possibly. But yeah, I've got one that is like Curse of Strahd or uh, Ravenloft sort of thing. It's got a vampire on the on the cover. Yes. Done like the box. You know, the adventure packet or what have you. Yes. You got you a Gorgira from the original film. Yes, you know, and it even says Gorgira on it. Yep, the old black and white first Gorgira movie. Yes. Uh, tumblers. That was on your list. And I picked up one too. So they had uh, these custom designed tumblers. You know, the art was custom made. And they had a goth aerial. You know, Mm -hmm. little mermaid Disney aerial. But done with kind of lavender hair and black lipstick. It's it's blue hair. Blue. It's kind of a light blue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and tattoos and stuff. What is with everybody drifting lanes? Especially this white truck. Um, people suck, honey. That's why. And can't stay between the lines. We, we're number one in road rage here in yeah, Utah. Yeah, I can so. see why. Yeah. Because people are shitheads. Yeah, just that. There he goes again. Come over on, the pick, other. Pick a lane. Yeah. He stay just keeps in your lane. going too far right or too far left. Won't stay in the center. Probably some MAGA fuckhead. Anyway. Yeah, like the one that was coming into the building when we were leaving. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a leather place that seemed to be ultra MAGA, and we're like, nah. No. Now they, they got all this thin blue line stuff up, and I'm like, no. No. They, they had some really cool-looking bags, but just no. No. No, thank you. <laughs> Not giving you my money. Nope. And some stuff we hadn't seen before, like some cool articulated dragon things. Mm-hmm. Those were cool. I mean, I, I like them in theory, but not to bring one home. Like, what would I do with it? Yeah, it's, it would just be something to sit somewhere and gather dust. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of over-getting figures, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would, it would have to be something pretty damn special. Yeah, it has to be special. That's true. It's like that time we got the kind of weird junk arch from that one sculptor. Mm, I love those. <laughs> he'd, he'd make robots and stuff out of scrap metal. I loved his stuff. It was so different. Yep, and then he'd like paint a glaze over them. Those were so cool. Yep. I mean, obviously we still have them, but I mean, his work was so cool. Oh, speaking of art, we did pick up some prints. It's been a long time because usually everybody just has the same old stuff we've seen before. Mm-hmm. This place seemed new. Yes. They had music sheets, which I think had the theme of the show. Oh, yes, it the, absolutely Yeah, did. the music notes with, like, the title and everything. And then over that was painted characters from that show. Like, there was an orange is the new black one with, like, the full cast painted on there. But we picked up uh, three of them because they had, were, had a deal. Uh, Logan's Run, because that's a movie that's very dear to you. No, no, no. No. 
No, you didn't get the Logan's Run one? No. I thought you did. No, you got a no. Star Trek. I got Star Trek. I got the thing. Oh, you got the thing. That's right. I thought you got the Logan's Run one as well, but nope. And you got no. Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol. Yeah, I thought you got the Logan's Run. I think you were just talking to the guy about Logan's Run. Yes. I was. Right. So, yeah. Strange New Worlds, which you were happy to see because, you know, not a whole lot of people were having Strange New Worlds art up on the walls. And it still isn't technically Strange New Worlds art. It's art from them in uh, Season 2 of Discovery. That buzzing bias was another motorcycle driving like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Weaving in and out of traffic. Yep. In gaps too small. You know it. And there oh. He, oh, okay. This guy didn't even check his blind spot. Well, he's an Audi. Yep. Audis are always driven by dicks. Ah, that's right. Always. I have yet to encounter someone driving an Audi who drives like a responsible human being <laughs> who's paying attention to the road. Right. Uh trying to think of anything else we picked up. It's mostly dice. We picked up a lot of dice. A lot of dice. And, um, yeah. Yeah, you talked about getting a tattoo, seeing what that would consist of. Yeah. Another tattoo, I should say. You already have one. Yeah. I, I feel like, though, the tattoo that I want, I'm not willing to commit to. Yeah. And so I'm going to regroup because I want something Star Trek. And so probably what I'm going to end up doing is a Science Delta. Yeah. Because it's a lot simpler yeah, and a lot less painful. Yeah, it's smaller, would be less painful, easier to to put on and balance it with your other tattoo. Yep. So you have one on each arm in the, about the same location, yep. about the same size. Something that can be hidden if people get uppity. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh. oh, we visited the VIP lounge, which is a new thing, I think. It's not a new thing. Oh, it's it's just, just that we're new at being oh, VIPs. Oh, we're VIPs, so... Yeah, it's actually surprisingly quieter. It's so much quieter. Because uh, it's a little... It's basically, they converted some of the panel rooms to a lounge space. And we found out what happened to some of the tables that weren't in the dining area. You know, the food court, I guess. Well, there's never enough tables, yeah. ever. But there were tables in there to go sit at, to, you know, at. Yes. And Which is, yeah. next time we eat at the con, we're taking our food back there. Yep. It's, uh, there's places to sit, usually. And it is, yeah, quieter, and you're on carpet, so it's plushier. It's not on hard, as hard on the feet as being on that, you know, cement. Yes. Trying to think of anything else to discuss. Uh, people watched, seeing a lot of cosplay. Lots of Star Lords. Lots of Lokis. Lots of Lady Lokis. I saw at least three different Lady Lokis. Yeah, lots of Lady Lokis. One uh, of whom was in the most stupid shoes. Yeah. Some Star Trek, some Star Wars. A lot of anime. Lots of anime. A lot of it I won't recognize. A really Amazon tall woman as Wonder Woman. Yes. Tall, like, slender so lady tall. as uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, Team Rocket from Pokemon. Uh, of course, there's always some furries around. So many. Yeah. Uh, I'm at a loss 
regardless of what else to talk about. I can't really think of anything else either. Yeah, our panel's tomorrow. Yep. And uh, I guess we'll uh, recap our experiences from day two uh, after whatever I do during this break. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. Welcome to Dungeons and Daddies, sometimes a BDSM podcast, a actual play D&D podcast about four dads flung into the Forgotten Realms in the quest for rescue there at Lost Sons. My name is Freddie Wong. I play Glenn Close, the bard rock star of the group. The <laughs> so formal. No, this is like a, an evening with Dungeons and Daddies. <laughs> in the following essay, I'll explain how my dad is. My name is Matthew Arnold. I play Daryl Wilson, a stay-at-home coach dad who's now a barbarian in the Forgotten Realms. Hey, everyone. Hi. You might be wondering who I am. <laughs> I'm Will Campos. I play Henry Oak on this podcast. Henry Oak is a uh, granola crunching, Birkenstock rocking, hippie nature dad slash druid. Hi, Beth. How are you today? Hi, Will. I'm great. My name is Beth May, and I play Ron Stampler, emotionally detached stepfather who has recently become a little more emotionally attached. Yeah, I'm Anthony Birch. <laughs> still. Every day I wake up, I look at the mayor. Still me, baby. Uh, I'm your daddy master. And uh, my daddy fact is, if you ever have the good fortune to, to be on a podcast that gets a fan base going, make sure not to mention uh, sketches that you don't like. <laughs> All right, that is day two of FanX, and it looks like we're not going in for day three. You know, I weighed the pros and cons, and I came up with more cons, and I am exhausted. Yeah, we pretty much had the full FanX experience anyhow, and I don't think a third day is going to contribute much. No. No, it's not. There's a couple of opportunities to meet a couple more celebrities, but it doesn't seem worth all the travel, the parking, the getting in and out, the waiting in line, etc., yeah. etc., I just, I, I think about it and I just cannot face another day of that. Ah, uh, heck no. Yeah, we had a pretty full day today. Nine hours, did you say? Ten. Ten we hour day, so. Ten hours. Yeah, we packed it in today and got a little bit of everything. Got some more fudge. Got some more fudge, baby. We had our California burrito that we shared. Which was very good. Met a lovely couple. Talked to them for a bit. She yeah. had a lovely voice or a lovely laugh. Lovely laugh. She was also a Trek fan mm-hmm. and uh, apparently goes to uh, Star Trek Las Vegas and said she hoped she'd see me in Las Vegas. I'm like, I guess it's not a bad time of year. <laughs> yeah, it's my work. It's bad. Uh, someday. Yeah. Someday. Met Tom Cavanaugh, got a selfie and an autograph. He's a gem. Yeah. Talked to him briefly about some of his co-stars. Well, yeah, because my two favorite people on The Flash were Wells and Cisco, and so I've met Carlos Valdez, and he is magnificent. Mm-hmm. We have met him, and uh, now we've met Tom Cavanaugh, so they're my favorite people. And of course, we met Dan- Danielle Panabaker as well. Yep. Um, that was back in 2018, 17. I yes. can't remember. One of those. One of those, but. Uh, but now I've met my two favorites from the show. So. Yeah. And it was it was lovely because he talked about how Carlos was actually one of his very best friends in real life. And that he just really loved and respected him and how he was just a really magnificent guy. And I'm like, well, I think you're a magnificent guy. <laughs> yeah. You seem like an all-around good dude. Yeah. I mean, just, just a cool guy. Mm-hmm. Just everything that you wanted, 
you know, it was everything I wanted. So, so uh, picked up more arts against our own will, kind of, <laughs> sorta. Of. Yeah. Uh, they had one artist that we were talking to for a bit, looking at his stuff, but he had like vacation style posters, like mm-hmm. visit wonderful indoor or you know, visit Tatooine, and he had a Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. He had some Rapture ones and some Fallout ones and. I didn't see if he had a Raccoon City, but he had some really fun ones just done like, you know, just like a tourist board kind of poster. Yeah. He had a cyberpunk one that I picked up that's just, you know, somebody in the samurai jacket. And a Vulcan one. Yeah, you got one for a Vulcan. So, yeah, we it was what, buy two, get two free, or was that the other place? That was the other place. So I think yeah. there was his buy three, get one free. Yep. And then somebody did... Uh, superheroes and similar characters as skeletons. So that was fun. Yes. I saw Spider-Man and thought, oh, interesting. I think she'd sell better if the poses were more dynamic mm-hmm. and kind of recognizable for that. Like if Captain America, like you were saying, was fully, you know, behind the shield in an action pose and this do that as a skeleton. Yeah. I think she'd manage to, to sell more. But yeah, they're just cool, you know, black ink on white paper kind of thing. Uh, I think that was most of the art we get, didn't we? No, I don't think we. There was, I got more D and D stuff. Well, I was talking about the art. Oh, the art. Sorry. Yeah, we did go back to. Oh my compendium. Oh right, there's. Uh, we hit a D and D kind of place, and they had a monsters compendium. Uh, done with original monsters created by the artist and writer and just, you know, illustrated, done with stat blocks just like it was a monster manual, 5e compatible, uh, play tested yep. with lore and actions and everything listed. So you picked that up for yourself, pretty much. I did, and it's fascinating. I was sitting and reading that while we were waiting for Tom Cavanaugh. Yeah, Bee Dragons. Yeah, bee dragons. What the hell? Yeah. And there's also bee workers and bee swarms. Uh, Cthulhu cat. Cthulhu or cat. Or Cthulhu, I Cthulhu. think. Cthulhu. Cthulhu. That brought me so much joy. <laughs> I can't even. And it's... It, the, 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 the lore about the Cthulhu is just... She's brilliant. This woman is brilliant who designed all of this. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and there's some complaints that there are certain levels where you kind of run out of monsters to fight. Like, there's only a certain number at that skill level. So you just keep fighting them over and over again. Yeah. So it's nice to have more beasties that you can throw at your players. Absolutely. Uh, picked up another big dice bag. Basically, uh, uh, what do you call it's them? A, a messenger, messenger bag. bag. Yeah, a messenger, messenger bag. bag of holding. Yes. And another set of dice, the textured dragon dice that are green and red. No, they're sort of turquoise blue and red. Oh, turquoise blue and red. red. They right. look like dragon skin. It could be like a fire ice dragon or an ice fire dragon. Yes. Dra- or a two-headed dragon that one side does fire and the other side does ice. Like that one enemy in Final Fantasy VII that you have to face in the ice caves. Cool. <laughs> that was too much information. Yeah. No, I feel like I need a sneeze. 
<laughs> well done. Uh, yeah, I've been having a drippy nose. Yeah. Um, uh, trying to think of what else. We sat for panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Elways. Yeah. What a dude. I still haven't told you the story you missed when you went to go paint. No, you did not. I had to go to the bathroom because I finished off Brandy's drink and that put me over. I can tell it now. Yeah, do you want to tell it now so on mic? <laughs> it, was, it was the first day when they weren't even filming yet. They were doing a rehearsal for the scene of storming the castle. And this is when they've got, you know, um, Wesley's mostly dead body waiting for the miracle pill to take effect. And they're, you know, looking over the, the ledge and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, Wesley comes to, I'll fight you both at once. I'll fight you separately, you know, etc. And, um, you know, they have their dialogue. And, and Rob Reiner decided to film it. Now, Carrie tells this story well, way better than I am. And uh, right after um, Fezzik says his line, uh, after he wakes up, he says, I guess, not long. And then he proceeds to let out the most... The longest fart. Oh my god. That just kept going and kept changing in pitch. And it would it, it would stop for a second and they'd think it was over and no and like the guy with the boom was taking off his headphones because it was so loud. <laughs> it echoed throughout twelve counties according to Oh wow. <laughs> and it just kept going and going and going. And then when he was finally done, Rob Reiner's like, uh how you doing? He says, better than I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, Carrie Ellis is great at telling yep. stories. So I'm sorry that you missed that. It was really hilarious because he had all the sound effects and everything. Yeah. He, oh, yeah, because he was doing, like, voices and sound effects. Mm -hmm. Like, he'd do Rob Reiner's voice. He did Billy Crystal's voice. He did he Andre the Giant's voice. I never heard him do Mandy's voice. No, he did Wallace Shawn's voice. Yeah. Um, did Mel Brooks' voice because, of course, Mel Brooks uh, visited the oh, set. Oh, yeah. Called him. The Princess Bride. <laughs> called him. Wanted him to do Robin Hood Men and Ties. He's like, this is Mel Brooks. Ah, sure. It hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Don't hang up. It's me. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he even did the voice of the doctor that worked on his toe. <laughs> the... Uh, set doctor because yeah. he broke his toe on set like very early on yeah because he was messing around on Andre the Giant's ATV like the only one in England <laughs> yeah and they bought it for him because the guy was like I'm not renting this to you yeah <laughs> they're like okay well we'll buy it then how much yep. you want um, we stayed for the Supernatural panel. Even though we haven't watched all of Supernatural. Yeah, because uh, the guy who played, what's his name, like Cash or Castle or Ca Catch? Catch. Catch. Yeah, but we didn't watch those seasons, so he's new to us, but apparently he and Mark Shepard have developed a really strong friendship. Mm-hmm. And they had this... A Scottish lass that was doing the moderating, which oh, she was, was like hurting cats because, but of course she's Scottish, so she was taking no guff, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, see, and that's the thing, Mark Shepard just—he never even sat down. No, nope. he, he just grabbed the mic and wandered off into the audience to yep. like high five kids. Mm-hmm. He high fived a lot of kids and just to you know wander around looking at people and. Um, 
and being an agent of chaos, as you said. The thing is, he'd answer questions, mm -hmm. or if it was a question that didn't quite apply, he'd tweak it so it did, mm -hmm. and then answer it. And it was really thoughtful and heartful, and you could, you know, see that he, you know, have approaches the craft. You know, he's a, he doesn't deal with all the pranks being done on the set of yeah, Supernatural. They, they never messed with him. Yeah, they wrote on a dirty window once, he says, if you scratch my paints, it'll be like $18,000 to repaint it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> repeat the whole car. It's like, okay then. Alright. So we don't tease or prank you. Yeah. He's... Uh, Mark Shepard is wow. Yeah, he is something. Mm-hmm. And I've always liked him. In fact, the very first time I remember seeing him was 1993 in an episode of The X-Files. Right. And every time I saw him after that, which was in a million things, I'm like, oh, I love that guy. Yep. Just every time. Oh, I love that guy. And uh, there was a young woman who was on the spectrum. Um, and I get, I, if I remember correctly, she may have been diagnosed with autism. Uh-huh. And uh, she was talking about, you know, did had they ever worked with anyone who had autism? And if so, what was that experience like? And Mark Shepard just took control right then and there and started talking about how, you know, we're all different. We all perceive things differently, whether you've been diagnosed or not. With, you know, a lot of talk about being on the spectrum and what, uh, people telling you what that means. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is just who you are, who you, what you want to do, what you want to be. And I cried. I did too. And I don't cry at many no, things. No, you don't. But to have him just say, you know, you're beautiful and we're all kind of broken and different and, you know, have there's nobody that's really normal. I mean, what even is that? Mm-hmm. And he was complimenting her her costume that she had made herself. Uh -huh. And just like, what a dude. I yep. mean, this guy. This guy. Yeah, he was going around being an agent of chaos. But that didn't mean that he was not paying attention. He oh, no. was He was there for this girl and for the audience. And just, I was... If I didn't already love him, I would have fallen in love in that moment. There was Just a bit like, where I was kind of side-eyeing him, and there was this question about this time he kissed this guy. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like he was being dismissive, but he was... Just looking for the photos he still had on his phone mm -hmm. of the event. And then he told, like, the entire story behind yes. it. Yes. So he answered the question, but it seemed at the time he was being a little dismissive towards the question asker. And you could tell she was frustrated by him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he would stand up like right next to the person asking the questions, which is intimidating. Isn't it's, it? Especially it if you're on the spectrum. You're like, what are you doing? Like standing right next to me or even putting an arm around me. And he, which he did. And then she said that she has autism and he withdrew his arm. Because, you know, sometimes that affects you. You know, the, mm -hmm. you know, physical touch, especially by somebody you don't know. Yeah. He was just, um, that, that's the thing is that he was presenting a certain way, but I know that that's. Yeah, it was just, part performance. It was, he was. And it was part him. It was part him, yeah. <laughs> and that's something he addressed too when there was a question about, you know, what character do you relate to most? And he's like, all of them. Because mm -hmm. that's what acting is. Mm -hmm. 
you don't half-ass it, you know? You don't, every time you take a role, you find some aspect of that character that you can imbue with your own personality, because otherwise, what are you even doing? You're playing pretend. You know, there's got to be something you connect to. I mean, he, he didn't say it as such, but, you know, that was the point he was putting forth. It's just acting. That's what acting is. And I, I knew absolutely nothing about David Hayden, David Hayden Jones before this, but now I like him. Yeah. I want to know more about him. He was fun. Oh, he was dropping, dropping F-bombs left and right. <laughs> it was hilarious. And Mark Shepard, the biggest potty mouth, was the one saying, hey, there are children here. There, there are children here. He's like, oh, well. Didn't stop muffs. him. Didn't stop him. No, he's still just saying, fucking this, fucking that. Uh, we then went from there to the room where we had our panel and watched the preceding two panels. Uh, caught the, a good portion of the roadblocks in, for artists. And, and creativity. And creativity. Gen- which is interesting. You know, people had worked for like Disney and Don Bluth and Pixar and all this stuff. Storyboard artists, mostly how they dealt with imposter syndrome and not ever achieving what you have in mind that there's always this gap between what project you have envisioned and what's on the paper mm-hmm. and that never quite goes away it's it's just you can work to decrease the size of that gap but it's never going to be what you pictured there's always going to be some Thing. And also how to be, you know, encouraging and not to compare yourself to people who have been doing it for ages. Because, yeah. yeah, they're showing their best work for one thing and they've worked hundreds, thousands of hours and they've thrown away their bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're not seeing all their crap. Yeah, you're looking at the thing you're working on now. You're seeing the stuff they've worked, you know, a lifetime to achieve and comparing the two that's not gonna end well yeah so yeah I found that very helpful Uh, followed that with a panel on horror and comedy and the similarities between the two and differences that guy was entertaining as hell oh he was great he had a presence and apparently does a a writing workshop so this you know is something he does all the time I don't know where where he finds the time because he's published what 50 books did he say Mm mhm yeah and just uh, getting uh, interaction with the audience asking them questions going oh you're kind of there we're going to circle back to that because that's actually a point we're going to bring up later I wanted to address that gags is something that's used in both comedy and horror. That in producing horror films, yeah, somebody just bed past us, driving way too unsafe for the conditions. Uh, Yeah, that gags are used for, like, kills and scares in horror. And they're also the jokes and pratfalls in comedy. That, you know, the same word is used for both because they both evoke a reaction in the audience. Mm-hmm. A different reaction. <laughs> but it's definitely something to build up to for, you know, a release of some kind. Whether it's a laughter or a jump scare or what have you. Right. So he was fun. He was fun. 
had our panel, which I recorded on the phone, and you recorded on Audacity. Indeed. So, yeah. Uh, do you think I should drop it in with the Dark Corner too? Absolutely. And so it'll be like in three places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we did our panel on emotional intelligence, and I think it went well. And I guess I could drop it here, and we can reflect on it. Uh, Is this oh, we're on. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for joining us. It's nice to see the turnout. Yes. Loving all of the Star Trek uniforms. Well done, all of you. I am still angry that there are not Star Trek uniforms for women of my size. <laughs> and I will... Yeah, it's, uh, it's very frustrating. And I will keep complaining about it until somebody does something about it. Because there is a lot of money to be made there. So let me just hit the table with my knee. Hi, I'm Brandy Jackola. This is... I am David Jackola. You can probably guess we're married. We're married. Yeah, not (laughs) brother and sister. No. Uh, (laughs) And uh, just to start off, we have a, a little bit of experience with Star Trek. You more than I do. Yeah, I've just been watching it since I was born. I mean, literally, my parents have been watching Star Trek since it was airing on television in its original run. And uh, I was born right at the time when the syndication was in full swing. So I don't remember a time before Star Trek, which I know how lucky I am with that. And I appreciate it. And it was a family affair. So... I've always loved Star Trek. We've watched everything. We watched it as a family until we all grew up and moved away. And those Star Wars people are so freaking loud. <laughs> no My decorum. gosh. No decorum at all. <laughs> and uh, and so, um, Dave, what about you? What's your Star Trek background? Uh, I've been a casual fan. I caught episodes here and there. My sister watched Next Generation. I watched it occasionally with her. I watched a little bit of the original series. I watched Voyager with you a bit. Enterprise with you a bit. Uh, when it watched, wasn't getting preempted by sporting yeah. events. Watch the movies a ton. In fact, it's kind of nice and dim in here, like it's one of the movies. Mm-hmm. Not quite yes. as bright as the television shows. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then Discovery came around, and I'm really into the new Trek. Yeah. It's really great stuff. And, uh, yeah, Discovery is one of my favorites. I really love Lower Decks. So, yeah, and Strange New Worlds, really great stuff, too. So, yeah. Yeah, I sucked him in and made him a full-time fan. Oh, He's yeah. no longer casual. Nope. I'm, I'm deep in it. And we do a podcast. Yeah, you do several. But <laughs> yeah, together we uh, co-host What the Future Holds. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast. It is. And our friend Christopher that we podcast with, unfortunately, lives way on the other side of the country and was not able to be here tonight because he's, you know, just music directing a show. What's yeah. that big deal? He's like doing Broadway stuff and yeah, stuff. So. It's no big deal. So, um, so he's really sad that he couldn't be here, by the way. And uh, I also do a Strange New Worlds podcast called Boldly Go when I do that with my friend Suzanne Williamson. The women! That's what we were going for. <laughs> we, wanted to just, we wanted to just have women. And uh, we used to be on a network that uh, said, no, you can't have just women. You have to be diverse. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Is this Star Trek or not Star Trek? What are we talking about here? We have to be diverse by having a man. Mm. No, thank you. We'll do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so. Meanwhile, there's like all these shows with two men, three men, 
There's so many men. Yeah. So many All men. The men. Not that we're against men. No. We just I think that women need more of a platform, especially when it comes to Star Trek. And so we just made our own. Yep. You can do that, you guys. You can just go out and do it yourself. You don't need a network behind you. So what are we going to talk about today? We're talking about emotional intelligence and Star Trek Discovery and Strange New Worlds. And you probably heard the criticism regarding Star Trek Discovery that it's just people talking about their feelings all the time. That's the point. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. They're addressing really modern issues because that's what Star Trek should always do. It should tackle modern issues. Yes. And right now, it's a lot about developing your emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that also goes into Strange New Worlds because they're really like sister shows. A little bit different presentation. You know, one's long form, one's like short form. It's like improv, but not Yeah, like. yeah, it's like long form improv and short form improv. Yeah. It's like you've got the episode of the week thing with Strange New Worlds and you've got this long, drawn out, season long arc with Discovery. So different presentations, but they're dealing with the same kind of issues, which is a lot of it, emotional intelligence. And what does that mean? Should I describe it? Tell us, okay. Dave. Emotional intelligence, uh, otherwise known as emotional quotient or EQ, it's the ability to understand, use, and manage your own emotions in positive ways to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathize with others, overcome challenges, and diffuse conflict. And these are five elements that must work together to present the best possible outcome. Yes. And we're going to go over those five elements. Yeah, we're going to go over these five elements and address how different characters might do it well, might not, mm -hmm. and also how the series itself might do it well and not. Because oh. yeah, there's some issues we have even with Discovery and how they treat emotional intelligence. And our first one is self-awareness. And this is your ability to focus on yourself and how your actions, thoughts, or emotions do or don't align with your internal standards. Now, when you don't do this, it's what the French existentialists call bad faith. It's not being authentic to yourself. It's like staying in a marriage that's loveless. It's still working for an employer that doesn't respect you. You know, it's just going through the same motions when it's not fitting in with your own standards. Yeah. Um, also, self-awareness extends, I think, to being aware of what's around you mm. besides just you. Because, like, you know, we're at a convention. There are a lot of people here. Have you ever been walking along and people just stop right in front of you <laughs> and just stay there? We had one that was a whole line. It was just people. a whole line across the entire aisle. And we're just yeah. like... It created a wall. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a lack of self-awareness. Because all, all their, oh gosh, I'm just <laughs> the right table's by the table you. leg. Yep, it's Dang you. it. <laughs> um, that's being aware of only what your focus is on, but self-awareness is also aware of what's around you. Yes. So uh, good examples of this are like actualized people that are very self-aware. Mm -hmm. Erica Ortigas. For the change of worlds. Ortegas. Ortegas, yeah. Ortegas. She knows exactly who she is. Mm. She's very confident in her being. Um, all her ideals match with her actions. She's not really lying to herself at any time. She, she's very honest. She wears her heart on her sleeve, so you know exactly where she's coming from. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Hammer. Mm -hmm. Very present. You know what you're getting very authentic, very direct. Uh, Kovic is another one. 
somebody who is of a great deal of experience and will say it like it is. Yes. And knows, you know, his own identity and, you know, just being this expert in psychology and stuff, he's able to even analyze himself. Which is a trick because how many psychologists will be able to analyze other people but be completely blind to their own issues? Yes, and you see that with Hugh, mm. is the difficulty of reflecting on his own issues and struggling with it. And so this is somebody who's progressing. Yes. So those, those are good examples of that. We have so many examples of people who are progressing in self-awareness. And of course, first on the list, you're probably not going to be surprised by this. Michael Burnham. <laughs> well, yeah, the series is really about her growth. It is. And becoming more and more self-aware. Well, she has had a lot of different uh, experiences in her life, to use a very loose term, <laughs> that have shaped the direction of her life. Oh, yeah, just uh, survivor's guilt with her parents. Yeah. Uh, supposedly being attacked by Klingons. Yes, well, they were attacked by Klingons. They were, yeah, but she <laughs> lost one and not the other. Spoiler so. alert! Yeah, if you haven't seen Discovery <laughs> in Stranger Worlds, there will be spoilers the, and discussions. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're not going to uh, gloss over any big plot reveals. We're just going to outright talk about them. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, Daddy did get killed by the Klingons, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, which is, it, does anyone else find it a little bit weird that Michael, uh, that Sinequa's husband was playing her dad? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's weird. It, is it a happens weird. all the time. I mean, on Lower yeah. Decks, um, uh, Billups, who's played by Paul Shear, his wife played his mother. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's Star Trek. It's it like a Star weird. Trek thing. It's weird. Yeah, it can get weird. Um, it's no, another example is Christopher Pike and dealing with fate and fatalism and struggling against that. And it's a progression in knowing what is expected of him and fighting against that is not quite ever accepting that and every time he tries to alter that fate it doesn't it turn out well for him horribly wrong yeah horribly horribly wrong um spock spock is just a work in progress a lot of the time there is a lot of stuff that he is Gosh, you guys, that, that he has actualized, but in, especially in Discovery Season 2, uh, he has experiences that rock his foundation of knowledge, his sense of self, because time travel, according to the Vulcan Science Academy, uh, is not possible, and yet he is having these experiences where he's remembering tomorrow. So... He's, uh, he, he is really like a ship lost at sea in a lot of season two of Discovery. Well, there's also being the offspring of a human and a Vulcan and trying to integrate those two parts of his personality. And struggling with that is he's a, he's a secret third thing. Yes. And he's not able to quite connect to that yet. Yet. That he's really leaning hard on the Vulcan and the human thing is some dark secret to bury. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whose fault that is. <laughs> yeah. 
Sure. Um, <laughs> Which is probably why he avoids them so often. Yes, well, well, that was interesting because in season one we do find out why mm-hmm. uh, why Spock went just, oh, hell no. <laughs> and Spock has some big yeah, daddy I'm issues, gonna join, that's for sure. I'm going to join Starfleet. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting thing that they did mm-hmm. with the character, even though he wasn't present. You know, he still was present because... Yeah, honestly, honestly um, season two of Discovery was such a surprise for me because I did not expect to like another Spock. Um, I, again, grew up with the original series uh, as a child. I discovered very, very early on through the episode, The Devil in the Dark, that uh, Spock was my favorite character. I think it was like five or six, and I'm like, why is the Horta hurting him? I didn't understand the whole telepathy thing yet. (laughs) And so I thought when he was expressing the Horta's thoughts and feelings that I thought the Horta was hurting him. And my parents (laughs) very carefully explained to him, no, 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 dear, that's not what's happening. But that was when like, oh, I really care about this character. So, and been your favorite since. Been my favorite ever yeah. since, and uh, which is not to say that I don't have other favorite characters. So I will have to say, Spock is my favorite male presenting character. Mm. Uh, I think we should go on to the second uh, element. Yes, let's do that. So self-regulation is taking a pause between a feeling and an action, taking the time to think things through, make a plan, wait patiently. I know we've all been on social media and you get into a heated argument just right off the bat. You just reply way too soon. <laughs> you don't take a moment to think, it's like, do I really want to reply to this person? You just send it and then afterwards you're like, oh, I should have done that. That's what self-regulation is. It kind of take that moment to think, to process, to weigh the you know, risk assessment mm-hmm. situation. And there's characters that are really good at this, Spock being one of them that growing up as a Vulcan is to regulate, to, through meditation, to bury that instant anger and reaction. That, that's something that Vulcans have to work on. Another one is Una, mm. I think, mm-hmm. through being a first officer, has to really kind of tamp that down and, and regulate and think and process that she can't just fly off the handle. like some characters might like McCoy is an example of somebody who you know just whatever just instant reaction to everything and Michael Burnham has some issues with that she does she has moments where she is thinking first and then like when she outlogics the computer in season one to let her out of the brig oh yeah that's pretty cool that's that's takes some cunning that's for sure yeah I, I really enjoy that scene um, and the thing is, is that she, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, Spock does nail it when he tells her that she's got a problem with taking responsibility for things over which she has no control. Yeah, he even says you've got this martyr-like syndrome. Yeah. That you take on more weight than you really need to. That there's people around to help you. You don't have to put all the weight of the world on yourself. The world carries itself, really. Yes. And uh, the, the funny, the, the amusing thing about that is Spock is a little bit like that, too. Yeah. Wrath of Khan. Well, they are siblings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. Ooh, is it all going to Sarek? Maybe he's a bad parent. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> Maybe Sarek is a bad dad. Mm. I don't know. He does seem to have a weird fetish with humans. That's 
Yeah. Interesting. Um, yes. I mean, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, um, difficult. Yeah, a third element? Third element. Uh, let's see. Motivation. This is the desire to act in the service of a goal. And you see this with Captain Lorca. Mm. He's deeply motivated, perhaps for the wrong reasons, because all these things have to work together. There's things that Lorca's lacking that you'll see later on, yeah. you know, elements that he's lacking, but he has motivation. He wants to get back to you know, the mirror universe, and he's going to do whatever he can to get that done. So he is motivated. Somebody who might not be motivated, Ash Tyler. Mm. He's not sure where he is, how he fits in the world, what's expected of him, what he wants done. Because, again, he's one of these people that's between these two is worlds. Is he human? Is he Klingon? Yeah. Well, he's both. Yeah, he's both. And how do you integrate those things? And where is your place in life? Yeah, and honestly, if we think about it, uh, Belana Torres really had that same problem. Yeah, Tilly is experiencing that. Uh, he's trying to find her place in Starfleet. Mm. And we see her going off to Starfleet Academy to teach, and that she found her place in the world, you know, in the universe. I had another one in mind and just left me. Oh, uh, Uhura in Strange New Worlds. She's just kind of leaving a place of grief because a lot of her family died in a shuttle accident. I don't know why there's so many shuttle accidents in Star Trek. Why are shuttles so dangerous? <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, it's like the Ford Pintos of Starfleet. It's like, they need to do something to fix these shuttles. But yeah, she's basically went to Starfleet and became this ensign just to kind of get away from it all and but she doesn't know what she wants she's a cadet yeah. not an oh, ensign she's a yet. cadet that's right she's not an <laughs> ensign that's right but she might be an ensign at the beginning of next season yeah we'll see that would be cool yeah but yeah she's uh learning her place yes um, um sorry yeah. what fourth fourth this is the one lork is lacking empathy <laughs> this is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another uh, it's a very key element to, I think, Star Trek as a whole, is to be able to feel and sense what the other person's feeling. And you get that with the 10C, is trying to connect. Oh, they had children. Oh, they grieved for them, they loved for them, they cared for them. That's this common ground that you can meet to develop a dialogue so that they can get rid of this anomaly that's going around, you know, destroying everything as a mining tool. It's like you have to find some common ground and able to communicate, to relate, to improve things, to like diffuse a situation. That if you don't think that the person you're talking to has feelings or is a person really, it can lead to violence and just all kinds of bad things. Indeed. Um, another person who is, well, Social skills can mean a lot of different things, but um, Tilly, okay, I unabashedly love Tilly. I think she's freaking brilliant. I love that she loves to feel feelings. And she is, she has overcome a lot. She still has her awkward moments, which I super identify with. Um, you may not believe it, because we're sitting up here doing a panel, but we are both introverts, <laughs> and it, social situations are difficult and awkward, especially for me. 
because you just sit there and you're just silent and I'm just like <laughs> anxiety <laughs> so uh, I just I, I appreciate the character of Tilly so much also curvy girl let's hear it for the curvy girls yes mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, deep, yeah, deeply empathic. Deeply empathic. She yeah. feels her the, her friends' feelings. She uh, becomes friends with Burnham very early on mm-hmm. when she's an outcast. You know, she just got out of this prison situation. Yeah, Tilly was afraid of her at first, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's pretty funny. Yeah, it's very. <laughs> it's, it's amusing to think that Tilly was ever afraid of Michael. Uh, Hammer, another one. I mean. A literal empath. I mean, he could sense your feelings, but on top of that, with his relationship with Ahura and that he fixes broken things, mm. that she came to him broken, that she's in grief and doesn't know her place in the world, and he's there as a mentor to help guide her. And he does so in a kind of gruff way, which we'll get into our next element, but he's deeply empathic. He feels very, and that, I think that comes from him being a pacifist too. Yes, is that he understands that he doesn't want to create any more pain or suffering in the world. But a, being a pacifist doesn't make you impassive. I think is one of the yes. things he says. Doesn't being a pacifist doesn't make you passive? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, for people who kind of lack empathy, we already talked about Lorca, definitely. Mm. Uh, Dr. Harai in this fourth season, he's the one that was always eating all the time, he's a language expert, (laughs) just said the worst things at the most inappropriate time, just criticizing them every step of the way. It's like, well, with the Rosetta Stone, they had two languages to translate. Yeah. You know, just things that would undercut everything. And that showed a complete lack of empathy until was it really came in and really basically yeah, is like okay you dude. have an obligation to assist and you're just putting up roadblocks everywhere mm-hmm. people need to be encouraged yeah you need to lift people up you have to celebrate the successes yeah. and Lon has a little bit of that too but i think she's getting better Lon, Lon is so wrapped up in her own trauma that that's all she can really think about and though her actions, though she's a very capable officer, don't get me wrong. And I think she's probably the best security chief that Starfleet has ever had. Like, how often do people get on the bridge? I mean, granted, they did get, you know, um, invaded by pirates in Strange yeah, Worlds. Yeah, that but was not. Lon wasn't there <laughs> yeah. at the time, so. It was, that's the thing. <laughs> um, the thing about Lon is that. She does get the chance a couple of times in that season to deal with her trauma. And uh, in one case, she actually gets, I think, some, not closure, catharsis. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, but she, she does come at everything from a very unemotional place. Right. And uh, who's the person that helps her out with that? Oh, yeah, it's Captain Pike. <laughs> Pike, our space daddy. Yeah, space daddy. And <laughs> so he, come on, we all call him Daddy Pike in our oh, heads, yeah, don't Pike. we? We do. Yeah. We do. And that's okay. That's all okay. Um, so, I mean, he's the same age as I am, but it's, it's, <laughs> he's still Daddy Pike to me. <laughs> but he would cook for you. That's nice. Oh, the cooking. You know, the cooking was actually Anson Mount's thing that he brought to this. He wanted to do something that, that was just him that he brought to the character, and that's what he brought. So, 
Well done. I would eat anything that he made me. <laughs> um, but yeah, Pike is, is one of the people that helps La'on understand that people are more effective when they are being encouraged, when they are given hope. And that's when they can help you pull off a miracle. Uh, our fifth element is social skills. Uh, the skills we use to communicate and interact with each other, both verbally and non-verbally, through gestures, body language, and our personal appearance. And you can see several people struggling with this. Uh, Stamets comes to mind. Mm. Very gruff, especially early on. You can kind of see where he's coming from because he's on the science vessel. He's trying to develop a new form of space travel. And the ship gets taken and used for war. So, yeah, he's a little prickly at the start, but then he becomes his own space daddy with his own space family. And so, you know, you see him soften over the years. And I think a lot of that largely is because of Tilly. Yeah, uh, yeah his relationship with Tilly, you know, working closely together on the spore drive and also with um, Adira coming on, uh, with Gray coming on. Um, Gray, we'll talk about a little later because we have our own thoughts on. Yeah, we, we have some um, thoughts. Some thoughts yeah. about uh, what 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 they did with Gray. Well, again, social skills, um, positive, actualized Ortegas. Again, uh, I think this comes with the self awareness too. Is mm. just very natural, uh, engages very well, very friendly, uh, forthcoming. Uh, just again, you know exactly where she stands. It's not somebody's gonna say something really behind your back, I don't think. No. Yeah. Um, Tilly, even though she's awkward, she makes an effort mm. that she's there to listen. And that's part of social skills, is actually listening to the person who's trying to communicate to you. And if you just close them off, like some people might, like Stamets might, mm. <laughs> you know, I don't wanna hear it. Well, how many times did Tilly get interrupted? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and in some cases, just told to stop talking. It's like the recent episode of Lower Decks with, you know, being the voice of science. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you need to, you know, interrupt the captain every once in a while and speak for science. Yep. Miglimo did one thing right. Yep. One thing. <laughs> and that was that assignment. Uh, Jet Reno, there's somebody with some really rough social skills. <laughs> I mean, we love her, but yeah, it's... It's very rough and, you know, insulting people left or right. And it's like, you know, that's kind of a hard person to work with that you wouldn't feel that would respect you, you know. But it's, maybe that's her show of respect because everybody has different languages of love. It's just understanding them. It's interesting because she herself is uninsultable. Yeah, she does. It just rolls just, off her. No. Just nothing. Uh, so how does one develop emotional intelligence? Uh, they don't really teach it in schools, you know, yeah, you learn, they should. you know, the years of wars happening and, you know, locations of events happening. And History is written by the winners, don't yeah. forget that. Formulas for whatever chemical process, but emotional intelligence is taught through storytelling. It's through culture. It's through even playing video games. It's, you know, movies, films, books, comic books, whatever. It's... Our ability as a viewer or reader is to put ourselves in the skin of whatever we're watching. And that's how we kind of learn to relate to one another, is through storytelling. And storytelling, you know, goes 
back as far as human culture is that we learn how to treat one another, you know, whether respectfully or disrespectfully through stories and culture. And it's how we learn to sympathize and relate to one another. So what has Star Trek gotten wrong? <laughs> or Star Trek Discovery and Stranger Worlds? We were going to talk about Grey Tall. Um, in season three, they did a whole thing about having Grey seen. And it was a great metaphor for being a trans person and not being identified, not being seen, not having your struggle seen. And the whole thing was to separate Gray from Adira and give Gray his own body. And they did that. And then the next season, we never saw him again. Well, we did. Really? After he got the body. Right. And then he went off to Trill to start his guardian training, and we don't see him for the rest of the season. Yeah, we get a reference every once in a while. Yeah. But for a while, we got to see Gray relate to Zora, and that was a really cool thing. You know, teaching, again, okay, Star Trek is so much, or Star Trek Discovery is so much into emotional intelligence that even the ship has feelings. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's how hard they're hitting this, this point, is that we're talking about emotional intelligence. We're talking about these five issues and, and how they relate to society and trying to better ourselves and the future. Yeah. But, yeah, to have gray just kind of disappear and maybe it's a, a scheduling issue maybe it's some other things because we've seen that uh, as well as cast members leaving i mean jet they have to schedule around yes well tig she's friends is, with yeah. the producer yeah tig nataro is a working comedian so she's always doing other things but yeah but um, they, they had to be more careful with her because of her cancer well, that, um, she's also. a cancer survivor mm -hmm. and and a badass uh, and so they have to be very careful with how they schedule her, whom they schedule her with, how they get her to and from Toronto. And so, Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> and Toronto. so they, so they, uh, so yeah, so she, she gets to be there when she can mm -hmm. is basically how it works. And uh, we just, you know, we're happy for anything we get for Jet Reno, aren't we? We are. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Because uh, we both love Tig. Yeah, way Tig's great. We I think she's a fan favorite. Yep. Uh, Christopher Pike, I think they've stumbled a little bit too mm. with dealing with his possible future and how ableist it can sound if you're equating disability with death, which yeah. they kind of did early on. They, they did that yeah. with the original series, mm -hmm. and it's really hard to retcon Yeah, yeah it's that. a bit cringy, yeah. So I, they seem to kind of... Um, backpedal away from that a little bit and I yeah. think they caught some uh, some heat from how they were presenting that mm. um, also some supporting cast on Discovery we still don't know anything really about we catch a little bit like maybe where they live or you know that one of them surfs and it's not anything really yeah. salient you know there's nothing to sink your teeth into for the characters it's just oh he serves okay. yeah what the H what give me it? more Bryce and yeah. Reese or Rice and Breeze as I sometimes call <laughs> yeah. them yeah uh, but if you look back to Next Generation they'd have somebody at the helm we didn't even know their name 
Yeah, they would just, be like a different person every week. It's like, and we did a running gag that's oh, there's a friend of the producer. Yep. It's like we've never <laughs> just, seen that person. No, friend of the producer. Yeah, attractive woman comes, sits at the helms, gets up without a line, walks off. You're like, oh, Kate. this person's beaming down. They're definitely not coming back. Yeah. So yeah, there's still you know some supporting cast that we don't know enough about. They're getting a little bit better at that, you know. Yeah, Awoshikan and, and Detmer, yeah. we've gotten more about. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, Detmer's P- PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. Here, here's the thing about PTSD, which I don't know if they really, you know, outright state in Discovery. Yep. PTSD never goes away. You are going to have that for the rest of your life. But it's how you deal with it mm-hmm. that is what matters. So you're never going to get rid of it. You're never going to get over it. It's like, it's like someone you love dying. You are never going to get over that. And that's normal. Yep, you, and so yeah. anybody who tells you that you should be over that, no. That's, that's harmful language. That's harmful language. Because it is going to be a part of your life experience mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. That, you are going it, to integrate it. You mm-hmm. are going to learn how to live with it. I was going to say that exact same phrase yeah. is live with it. You're going to learn how to yeah. live with you it. You don't get over it. You learn to live with it. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of when Detmer is asked or when they are asking for a volunteer for basically a suicide mission to go mm-hmm. after Tarka. And there's hesitation with Detmer, but she does eventually stand up. You can see that she's conflicted. And you see Awoshikan's face, and it's like, no! Yeah, because those two are, like, super tight, yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything But then else? we get into A, too. Oh, and yeah. Doe, too, does it. So, yeah. Sorry, we're just talking about Star Trek now. <laughs> 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 about what you do most of the time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Star Trek, it's, we talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something else I was going to say, and I don't remember what it was. I hate when I do that. I hate oh. when I do that. You want to do questions, comments, and see if that maybe triggers any yeah, thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Does anybody have any questions? Just wave. Any stand up. Comments, any um, thing you want to address? Yeah. <laughs> any characters you want to discuss? Um, I could read you some of my poetry if you're bored. Um, just you kidding. have poetry? <laughs> I was going to say, kidding. when do we write poetry? There's my ode to Tilly. But that oh, ode to Tilly. Oh, yeah. Not, no, I'm not doing that. There's her lyrics to the space boat that go um, to the no, love boat. No, we're not, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. Talking about that. I, do, I used to do a different um, Discovery podcast on a network. And um, we, my, my co-hosts and I, we were just talking about, we were trying to find, a, I, I think I said, somebody said spaceship and a space vessel and I'm a space boat. <laughs> so space all of a sudden boat. I started writing that theme, rewriting that theme song in my head and it became space boat about season one of Discovery and season two of Discovery. So, oh, um, I have something and it's regarding season three. Season three. Of Star Trek Discovery, yes. which I think a lot of people had problems with the reveal of the burn mm. that it was a child in grief and loneliness and despair that mm. caused it all and i brought up this point to a lot of people who were detractors of this mm-hmm. r- revelation and i told them if this was doctor who you wouldn't blink an eye because that's expected in doctor who that kind of emotional impact of what's behind the whole thing mm-hmm. but in star trek they expect it to be a bit more scientific a bit more cold a bit more clinical but with Discovery, we are dealing with this more emotional, intelligent series. And so to have the burn, you know, the source of the burn be this poor, lonely, 
Kelpian, that it made sense. Also, that if you notice in season three, every episode leading up to the conclusion seems to be like in a different genre. You have your diehard like siege episode. You have like a weird space western thing on that weird ice planet. You have a heist <laughs> very early on. All these different very separate genres and it's because the universe itself at this time because of the burn is fractured and so as the series going you're talking about all these different fractured elements of this universe that's going to combine and integrate towards the end and it's the discovery crew that's doing that because of the spore drive being able to go from place to place mm -hmm. and find the source of the burn figure that out and so then they can deliver dilithium and start reuniting the universe. And so the whole series itself is kind of this story of all these separate people being brought together towards a common goal. Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. <laughs> they even had a, like a, a legal thing, like a trial episode in season three. So yeah, yeah. just all genres. That, that was unification theory. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, when they when they started showing footage of Leonard Nimoy, I'm just like, okay, you guys, mm -hmm. um, stop making me cry. I cry really easily. Yeah, it's just fine. Um, I actually had a friend of mine who reduced the reveal of the burn to so some kid had a tantrum, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, I can tell where your emotional intelligence is. Yep. Kind of in the toilet right now. Because oh. <laughs> it's so much more than that. It wasn't just about a kid who had a tantrum. And when I found out, you know, when we all found out what that reveal was, it broke my heart. Mm -hmm. It really just broke my heart. what a performance, heart. too. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So. So we had a question or comment? Well, I was just going to say. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're turning it up right now. We can hear you. We can hear. I was going to say, I think that you know, part of the bird. I mean, there's not only the individual emotional development and intelligence of the characters. There's the reflection on the emotional intelligence of our society as a whole. And I think what the jump to the future did was it showed us a fractured federation starkly, which we've never seen before, because Gene Roddenberry's vision was toward more equality, more inclusion. And so I think that the parallel that it makes there, as far as now we are suspicious, we don't trust each other, we don't trust each other's information. And what I feel like Trek does best is, and sci-fi in general, you know, when it takes those, what's going on in our society currently, we don't trust each other, we don't believe each other, we don't communicate with each other. And so by making the source of the burn and that, that by resolving that, we start to create more connection. I think there's beautiful lessons in that. That's a great point. Absolutely. And a lot of this, and we brought this up while uh, podcasting, is that a lot of these events on Discovery would happen before something big happened in the news. Mm -hmm. It seemed like they were... It was were, eerily prescient. Yeah, it's like prophecy. Yeah, which this, have, this stuff yeah. had been filmed a year mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm because it takes like nine months just to do the visual effects. So most of the season was filmed the year before and then all of these events are happening and it was just, it was so uncanny. 
and yet I, I don't I don't know it's the human experience yeah Star Trek is the human experience even if we're seeing it through the eyes of aliens because when you think about it and I, saw, I actually saw somebody post about this in a forum or something my friend Patrick sent it to me because he knows I love Spock but uh, they said that Spock was the greatest character in all of Star Trek because we saw the human experience through his eyes. Well, they say that the best observer of a country is a foreign visitor. Yeah. Because they see it from an outside perspective. It's like not knowing that you have family issues until you visit your friend's family and go, oh, wow, this is how you treat your kids? <laughs> you know, this is a lot different than my home experience. And so, it, you know, sometimes it's like the whole, like, thing about, you know, lobster or frogs and, you know, you turn up the heat and they don't know they're dying. Yeah, you turn up the heat slowly and yeah. they don't jump so out of the pot. So somebody outside of that is going to observe it and go, oh, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great traditions of Star Trek because it's always been a commentary on what we're going through as a species Mm -hmm. at the time we're going through it. But with Discovery, it was prescient about events that had not yet happened. Yeah, it was crazy how often it would happen, too. Yeah, it it just, uh, and so I was was very disappointed with my friend who just reduced it all to a Mm -hmm. kid through a tantrum. And I think I brought that up, too, the whole Doctor Who thing. If this was Doctor Who, you wouldn't blink an eye. You would just accept it because that's the nature of that series. Well, see, and, and, yeah, yeah, we've seen this with every new Star Trek series. Mm. Some, you know, people don't like it because it's not the Star Trek they had (laughs) before. It's the same thing over and over again. When Next Generation started, they had so much hate mail. Not my Star Trek. Yeah. If it's not Kirk, if it's not McCoy, if it's not Spock, it's not Star Trek. It's not Star Trek. Trek. And then it happened with DS9, and it happened with Voyager, and it happened with Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's, It's just something that some people in our society tends to do yeah uh, during the pandemic a lot of people finally watched enterprise enterprise during they lockdown loved it and they found out that they yeah they loved it mm-hmm. so yeah um anything else any questions comments yeah. She's an interesting conundrum, Tilly is. Um, yeah, I could see uh, the manic pixie dream girl kind of trope, but I don't. I don't think it quite applies applies to her because she's not there to satisfy some male character. Yeah. She's not there to you know be this winsome fairy-like creature too. <laughs> and and uh, some people would say she's not there to satisfy the male gaze and I, I'm sorry but no woman is there to satisfy the male gaze. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's I know I know you're thinking yeah. seven of nine right now but you know <laughs> they still did really amazing things with her in the writing so mm-hmm. 
they they cheated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she surpassed she what she was brought on for. Yeah, because she she's a good actor. Um, uh, the, the thing with Tilly is that I see in her, I see in myself a lot of the same qualities. I have bipolar disorder, and uh, that that is something for which there is no cure. So that's fun. And I also have an anxiety disorder. So there are a lot of behaviors that Tilly exhibits that actually are things that I have experienced as well. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that she is somewhere within that spectrum, but that doesn't mean that she is in any way less than because of that. And I think that she has always presented as extremely intelligent, mm -hmm extremely capable and extremely emotional and yes you can be all of those things oh uh, was anybody here for the mark shepherd like the supernatural panel yeah yep um mark shepherd had a great point about being on the spectrum or being autistic and the diagnosis of that is that we're all different we're all kind of weirdly broken and shaped in our own way and we're all beautiful for it and so this idea that there's a normal i mean have you ever met a normal person <laughs> <laughs> and when you do, you're like, who is this? And yeah. get them out of my face because I can't deal with you because, you know, there's nothing else there. That, yeah, we're all shaped by our personal trauma, our experiences. Uh, our trauma informs our choices. And mm. um, so I think you get that with Tilly. That, you know, she has big mother issues oh, yeah. a very controlling very dominating mother that wants her specifically to be this you want she wants her to be a diplomat and that's just not her she's an engineer she's into science she's into starfleet yeah and if you haven't read the weight of the stars by una mccormick i strongly suggest that you read that book because i read it in one day i could not put it down <laughs> and i cried so much in a good way. In a is, good way. Is this the one that wrote fanfic, but it was so good that no. they oh, that somebody else? Okay. No, Una McCormick. She's a bona fide author. Okay, I thought there was one they brought on that was so knowledgeable of Star Trek. That well, no, that was Una, but that yeah, was a see, long time ago. That was a long time ago, but that but just shows... she's been writing books for a long time. Yeah, that Star Trek were so impressed with her knowledge that it's like, yeah. come on and just... She was she was doing a lot everything. of Deep Space Nine writing, yeah. and then she gets to do Deep Space Nine writing. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, but that's, that's the thing. I think that's another great thing about Star Trek is that it, it shows us how we can be. It shows us that we can celebrate our differences. Mm -hmm. And it shows us that those differences are not weaknesses as other people may perceive them. And what does that take, Dave? Emotional, emotional intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> so if we don't have any more questions or comments, I think we'll... Oh, oh it's we right there. Okay. Thank you. And I see so, someone else in the back. Yes. She understands her people, what they need, but also what the universe as a whole needs. She's able to bring both of those together. And she's going to be touching it too. So I hope we see lots more of that. Oh, I, I think, think we will. I think she, I think we'll absolutely see <laughs> more of Tarina. Even she struggles, like with the social skills, is trying to develop a relationship with Saru and stumbling. Yes. <laughs> um, you guys mentioned that spot about some people thinking Spock is 
like one of the best characters because he because Sergeant is being told kind of from that little outside perspective, so even if it's from a Vulcan raised perspective. I think Data is also kind of a good example of this because yes. Data is an android who is found by humans and then and then unlike Spock actually, Data wants to become more human because Data values what makes humans human. That, yeah. that level of ability to connect with others that humans seem to uniquely have above many other species. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I think that that's because, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know facts for sure, because there are stories, but then how do you know if they're true? But I'm pretty sure Data was basically our Spock for Next Generation, because see, yeah. they didn't want to obviously do Spock again, because that just wouldn't work as well. Mm -hmm. Need to do it in a different way, so they gave us Data. And it's, it's brilliant, it's a brilliant way to do it. And there's positives and negatives to that, like, Spock could often be used as, you know, a deus ex machina to solve a problem because mm -hmm. he was so knowledgeable in all these things. You get the same thing with data as well. And also you have, speaking of autism, people on the spectrum identifying with data mm -hmm. because he's slightly different than everybody else and trying to fit in and trying to work out what it's like to be human, you know, this kind of thing. Trying to understand subtlety. Yeah, yeah understanding subtleties, that stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, Data's a wonderful character, and I think a, a good example of, of trying to present this emotional intelligence, you know, trying to look at humanity from an outside perspective and no, noticing the weird nuances and everything, like humor. It's like, what is that? What yeah. is a joke, and how does it work? One of my favorite scenes was the gift that Q gave Data of a laugh. Mm. Gave him an actual, honest-to-God laugh. And that was such a joyous scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in all of Next Generation was just Data suddenly cracking up yeah. and just being so elated about it. And he didn't even know why he was <laughs> laughing, but it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Three cheers for Data. Three cheers for Data. Hey, Pete Perron. Anyone else? Really quickly. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I have a quick question about what you thought about Saru's Oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> we could spend an entire 45 minutes talking about Saru's emotional intelligence, because yeah. he makes a lot of progress too, mm -hmm. a lot of progress, and because uh, he and, when we first meet Saru, he and Burnham are not friends, really not friends, and it's... Because, uh, you know, we learn about that more in season two, about how he's got this need to be the best Kelpian that Starfleet has ever seen, even though he's the only, only Kelpian. <laughs> and that's why he knows, like, what, 96 languages. Mm -hmm. and, and just a super overachiever. And he feels threatened by Michael. And so it takes a lot of trauma that they both go through. And I find it's very interesting when Michael does get co-opted by Lorca and brought to Discovery at how Saru treats her at first because he's wary, but at the same time they're walking down a hall and he's offering her a blueberry. And so he's, he's learning how to be more of a leader and at the same time he's also learning how to be a friend. Yeah, because then you get in season three when he's mentoring Tilly. Mm -hmm. 
and by season four, he's very much a different person. And no, season two, he's mentoring Tilly. Uh, well, I'm I'm talking about like on that the heist or not the heist, the space western. Oh, the space episode. western, yeah. Right. Yeah, he he has a very direct like taking her under his wing mm-hmm. and selecting her for, for this first, acting first this officer landing mission, this landing party, and acting first officer. Yeah, later, acting so. first officer as well. Yeah. So um, Saru. Doug Jones is a freaking genius, yeah. y'all, and uh, he it, that he can emote the things that he does under all of oh, that all that makeup. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. I love Saru as a character. I've loved his evolution. I think that uh, he's one of the greatest examples of seeing ourselves in an alien culture and the things that he's overcome, the things that he has changed and brought about and just yeah, I I adore Saru and I think that he has evolved in ways other than just physically, yeah. the character physically <laughs> with ooh, yeah. cheek spikes. Cheek spikes. Cheek spikes. Those are fun. So, um, I think we are completely yeah, out of time. Yeah, I think we're Thank done. You so thank you all for so coming. Much. Thank you so we much. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Especially so late <laughs> at night. So, enjoy the rest of your night. Go home. Get some food. <laughs> yeah. You know, chill. Rest. <laughs> rest. Now, I guess that you just returned from hearing us talk about it. <laughs> right. Uh, I thought it went well. Uh, we had good reaction. We had kind of just... I mean, some people left, but that always happens in panels. You know, some people came in, too. But a lot of people were very engaged, it seemed, and picking up on what we were saying. You know, talking about the five elements and discussing how it relates to characters. And we're having a slowdown of some kind. Yeah. We had some people come up to us afterwards with, you know, follow-ups or, you know, added notes like, you know, what was this other element didn't quite, you know, like, what's the fifth one? What do you think, darling? Uh, I think I'm a little stressed out because we're going to need to move over. Oh, yes. And I should have done it sooner, but people kept speeding past me. Because these two lanes are apparently closed up ahead. Oh, no. Because why not? just fuck up everybody's Friday night. Yeah, that's the thing about doing construction that night. Yeah, so I'm gonna try to sneak in here. Don't cut me off, bud. Don't cut me off. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Alright. Okay. Breathe. Breathe, breathe, breathe. breathe. Alright. We're good. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed the panel. It was fun. And we had more people than I expected. Yeah, uh, lots of people coming in that were Star Trek fans, which is always helpful, mm-hmm. especially people who were wearing like Discovery uniforms and Stranger World uniforms. You're like, okay, these are our people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we had a young woman come up to us afterwards, and uh, she was interested in trying to get an all female panel, Trek panel together to talk about the women of Trek. And I said, well, I am female, and I'm local. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. so if you want to do this one of these years. So she gave me her card, and I'm going to get in touch with her because I think that that would be a great idea. Yes. And uh, it was just fun to talk to her. And she mm-hmm. says, yeah, I was talking to this guy that runs this, and 
he th- said that he knew everybody that was doing Star Trek panels, but he did not know you guys. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. like I've done a couple before, but you know, this is our first time doing it together. So, but that was cool, yep. you know, that she came up and and talked to us afterwards. It was fun. Mm-hmm. And had there not been another panel after us, we might have had other people that would have talked to us, but. You know, it was the end of the con day. The vendor floor was closing, and so it was this mass exodus, even though there were panels after, you know, starting at 8 and going until 8.45 or 8.50. So, but yeah, I think it went really well. I thought so, too. Uh, We had good questions, I thought, and Mm -hmm. interesting points that people would bring up regarding certain characters and addressing other uh, series of Star Trek touching upon just about everything <laughs> except maybe Picard and Prodigy so yeah I was very happy with it and then it was of course trying to get out of the con which is something we're still technically trying to do I guess <laughs> get yep. home mm-hmm. uh, get ourselves some cheesesteaks and enjoy the rest of our weekend our extended weekend because we both took Monday off yes so yeah, we recover. Hopefully, none of us got con crud or worse. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the there's no mask mandate, no protocol whatsoever that I could tell. So, well, basically, they're following the CDC recommendations, which is basically, of uh, masks are uh, optional, and yep. you can do what you want. Yeah. So. Uh, didn't hear a whole lot of people coughing or anything, so mm-hmm. I didn't have any alarm bells for the most part. It seemed... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people with uh, new masks. Okay, mm-hmm. people trying to get in. I don't know yeah. when they're going to ever be able to do so. Oh my gosh, there's like three trucks ahead of us. There's more than three. Yeah. What? I can see like trucks ahead of the trucks. I think you did well by getting over when you did. Yeah. Because these other folks are kind of trapped for what I can tell. Okay, so I guess we'll end there. And thanks for listening to The Dark Corner and our coverage for Fanex 2022. Bye. Bye. So there's one last thing to do, and that is to play you out on the dark track. Something we haven't done for a long time. Usually the dark track comes around the middle of the show. I have a cat trying to get to me. Another little thing is about the question. I think you might have heard it, but regarding Tilly as a manic pixie dream girl, that trope is specifically created to teach a brooding male protagonist about lust for life and the wonder and everything like that. It's a trope that specifically serves a male protagonist, which is something Tilly doesn't do. I think it's more in keeping with kind of a comic relief type of character, kind of way of softening or releasing the tension in a scene. Tilly has that role to play in a lot of the stories, and also an avatar for the viewer of somebody who very much feels her feelings and comes at being in Starfleet in a very sympathetic and empathic mode. So in selecting a dark track to end on, I thought since we did so much discussion around 
Emotional Intelligence, why not a song about emotions? And this comes from Storytell versus Ministry of Truth. Storytell is a neoclassical dark wave band, a crossover that you don't see very often, from St. Petersburg in Russia. And you can hear the neoclassical elements. There's some kind of orchestration going on there in its presentation. But of course, a little leaning towards the you know electronic gothic sort of dark wave feel. Ministry of Truth, I could not find anything about that band whatsoever. But I imagine they're probably a similar band in Russia. Hence the... Crossover. Oh, I'm getting loved by this cat like you wouldn't believe. He's resting his head on my shoulder and sniffing my ear. He's nuzzling me. Oh, what a sweet boy. Uh, Anyhow, here is Emotions by Stereotale versus Ministry of Truth. And with that, we close off September and we'll return next month for Spooky Season, which we should have four episodes if things serve us right. So anyhow, take care out there. Bye! Bridge, you're in the bridge.